Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the FSLSO Palmcast. I'm your host, Jordan Morrow, and in this episode, we're speaking with Mitchell Kalmanson, insurance consultant and risk manager with Lester Kalmanson Agency, about his career in insuring and working with exotic animals, or as he likes to put it, the wild, weird, and wacky. Well, Mitchell, thank you so much for coming on and joining us for episode four of the FSLSO Palmcast. Before we get started, we had a pretty interesting phone call earlier this week where you said that you had just returned from a trip outside of the country. Can you tell me where you were? Uh, well, I was uh, back-to-back trips, but I was in the Guadalupe Islands, which is about 180 miles, nautical miles off of the coast of Escondido, Mexico, and I was on a private vessel to do shark diving for the great white sharks and shark caging, and apparently there's some phenomena there. There is more great whites there than um, Australia and or uh, South Africa, Cape Town. That's unbelievable. And and where are you going this weekend? You have another trip coming up, right? I do. Um, and, and, and let me just rehash, but we saw uh, 26 great white sharks in about a 48-hour period from the water. I was in oh uh, both the first bull cage and also a uh, cage on the side of the boat. Um, leaving Sunday evening out of Miami to Moscow and on over to Nova Zabirsk. Nova Zabirsk is the sort of capital, if you would, of Siberia, Russia. So you are one busy man. You are constantly uh, globetrotting and going around the world. Well, thank you for that intro. Well, with that uh, in mind, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself? Well, born and raised in the Orlando area. My uh, parents were um, in the insurance business. My dad started back in the 50s in Miami when he got out of school. They moved up to Orlando. Obviously, I was born, went to uh, primary school, dropped out of high school at age 16, ended up with a college degree by age 20 with about five and a half, six years of college under my belt. I had started the master's program. I'm very few hours shy of finishing a master's, just didn't see the feasibility of it. And dad, I wanted to go to medical school. And dad's like, well, take this business class, take this business class. And I'm like, okay, well, got challenged and ended up with a degree in uh, insurance, sort of a minor in risk management, uh, real estate, and finance. Wow, so you studied a little bit of everything. How did you drop out of high school at 16 and then find yourself being a college graduate at 20? Well, it was before the GED program, and I just try to be nice. I'm an overachiever. I felt that high school was quite stupid, and they wanted you to take a lot of stupid classes, and so I arranged a meeting with my parents and uh, the uh, principal, and asked to get out of high school. He said, we'll allow you to do it. There's a risk. The risk is if you don't graduate college, you will not have a high school diploma and you won't have a college degree. And I said, I take that risk on. So I did get a college degree, did not get a high school diploma. It was called early admission you just, program. You just doubled down. Now you they do a dual down. enrollment, but I was under the early admission, or early, yeah, early admissions. That's incredible. As our listeners has probably already learned by now, you work with exotic animals. How did you get started working with animals, both personally and in insurance? Well, sort of putting a passion and a career and, uh, you know, a little bit of education uh, together and decided I wanted to do something that was fun and something that was sort of dear to heart as well as, you know, getting up and want to go to work today or in the morning as opposed to getting into a laborious field. Having said that, I was about five, six years old. I had always wanted a primate. Mom's like, no, you're not getting a primate. And, of course, she brings me a primate home one day. And I had a monkey. I had two monkeys back, but almost 16 years when I was a kid and going through school. And it just never stopped. It got into farm animals, 
got out of college, started collecting um, exotic animals and the necessary uh, federal and state permits, and decided let's do something with insurance, looking at doing a little survey saying, okay, how many people insure, quote, horses? Wow, there's a lot. How many people do cows? Ah, oh, there's very little. Let's go to dogs, uh, even less. And then even went in and said, okay, I'm going to go into exotic animals. And luckily got involved with a couple of guys that did magic out in Vegas with a referral. And it just went uphill from there. Um, I did a lot of apprenticing up there on the animal side. And then took my insurance knowledge, got my surplus lines license, obviously, and decided to specialize and started dealing with the London markets. And here I am, whatever, almost 30 years later. So from a young age, you managed to convince your mom to get you a, a primate, and then you ended up with two monkeys. So what yep. are some of the animals that you find yourself primarily working with nowadays? Back when you started with horses or cows or dogs, how has that evolved into what species you work with today? Well, there's two different. I, I need to bifurcate that. I insure literally the alligators and zebras from biomedical monkeys, um, zoological animals, marine mammals. I've moved and insured most of the um dolphins in the Caribbean for the swim programs. The reason I'm going, you didn't ask why I'm going to uh, Russia, but I'm going over to pick up two domesticated foxes from the Institute. The Institute is owned by the government. I've got a commercial Russian visa. I'm also insuring these animals for mortality purposes coming back to the United States. They've been sold to a um, doctor out west, so I'm bringing them into the United States for importation. I physically go over there, obviously, move them back, and then last year we went to Seoul, Korea, and moved six over there, and then I'll transfer the animal to him. Having said that, so that's on the insurance side. On the personal side, I also um, raise and own, but I've got, I think, 16 tigers at the moment in my backyard. So you go over to a place like Siberia, and you personally oversee picking up these animals and bringing them back, such as the foxes, and then you sell them privately to interested parties here in the States. That's correct. They're normally pre-sold, but I also fabricate my own cages that exceed all the minimum standards and requirements. So I'm actually taking my cages to uh, Russia, and then I will load my cages up in Russia with these animals. After I do a inspection, we pick these animals up, we play with them, and then we do a physical inspection on them, making sure we don't have any medical issues. Uh, are those animals, I look at all the paperwork. Usually takes us a good part of a half a day and a lunch to go through all the paperwork because everything's got to be in English and in uh, Russian. And then I make an arrangement. I do a timetable. We start at usually 1231 in the morning to catch a six o'clock flight from uh, Siberia or Novosibirsk to um, Moscow and then Moscow back to Miami. Then I've got also the import permits and licenses that allows me to do all the clearing and declarations with the U.S. government so I can get these animals in legally. Uh, very similar to you and I getting a visa, coming to the U.S., and then getting your visa stamped, and you're now officially in the U.S. Well, for all the work that you just listed, it sounds like half a day of work and a lunch. That's a pretty efficient time frame. To back well, up just for I'm, a second, you said that you have 16 tigers living on your ranch? I did when I left this morning. I hope they're still there this evening, little gallows. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got um, I've got cougar, lion, uh, tigers. Uh, I've got two... Um, African crested porcupines. I've got five of the domestic foxes, and these are actually domesticated animals. Um, they've actually domesticated a species in our lifetime. Uh, one of the other gentlemen took the same platform and domesticated the mink. I've got the only domesticated mink outside of Russia. And then, of course, horses, um, yak, zebus, you know, the usual farm and domestic uh, animals. 
And then are these animals that are on your property, do you loan them out to be used in things like special events or movies or stuff like that? All the above. I won't loan them out, but we physically take them. Uh, we do a lot of magic uh, performances with it, uh, you know, get a little bit of heat from the activists, but that's just a whole nother day for another argument. But I do. I, I supply animals for special events, fundraisers, conferences. In fact, we just uh, had a, a tiger, a white tiger. It was on TMZ, but for two chains, his wedding down at the Versace Museum, I think three weeks ago. I think it's been three weeks or four weeks ago where we had a white tiger for all his guests. It was private. Kim Kardashian was there. Um, uh, Kanye West was there. Little Wayne was there. I'm involved with rappers because I do the liability on rappers as well as supply them the animals. I got called yesterday. They want me to put a tiger on a uh, private 180-foot ship, and they want to do a virtual reality like they do on homes of the ship. The gentleman, I guess, sells them. And they'd like to have some of the models with the tigers sort of walking through and showing off the um, private yacht. So the rich and famous come to you and they say, hey, Mitchell, I need a tiger for a wedding or a yacht. So you're the guy that they're coming to. Uh, yeah, something like that. And then I also do the liability <laughs> on the animals as well for the event or I ensure the event and that. I'm also involved with the movie industry for supplying the animals or I have a lot of insured, uh, especially on the West Coast, uh, that do the animals for uh, the various TV programs, sitcoms, movies, etc. That's incredible. I was looking on your website earlier this week, and it says that you specialize in ensuring the, quote, wild, weird, and wacky. What are some of the most wild, wacky, and memorable risks that you have covered throughout your career? Well, one was I was 20 years ago, and in fact, I was called recently to get back involved, but I brought the panda in for the San Diego Zoo, so I flew to China and brought it in. Now there's talk of me taking the China mail back to China. So that's one uh, really interesting. I did another panda for the king of, who's since passed on, but the king of Thailand, it was given to him by the president of China years ago. And I flew over to China and then moved the animal into uh, Thailand. We did another fun one where it was a cruise ship down in Miami and they staged us through the stunt guys, but they had staged a girl being up on the pool deck with boyfriend and they came in with a helicopter and sort of grabbed her and sort of kidnapped her, if you would. Of course, the 9-11 calls, the police, the fire department, the Coast Guard, the Marine Patrol all knew about it. They sort of showed up, but more in just a show. But we ensured that if it went wrong with the helicopter and the kidnapping, they sent sort of a SWAT guy down and picked uh, her up. And it was a you know sort of a, a reality TV, if you would. I get involved with a lot of movie stuff uh, anytime they do special effects, stunts. Uh, the gentleman uh, that does a lot of uh, promotional speakers, and they do the slide for life where they slide in from the back of a auditorium onto the stage. We get involved with that. Uh, special events, uh, up the uh, tenor, he's since died, Pavarotti. But we insured years ago for liability because they had a lot of people, and it was a very high risk. So... Those are things every now and then we'll get involved with like a Ripley's Believe It or Not. They bring in a special um, uh, item or they want to uh, move it or they want to transfer it or put it on display. We'll get involved with that. Not the normal stuff. No, it doesn't sound like it at all. I mean, all of those stories are so fascinating. I don't even know where to start about asking you about all of them. Have you worked with any animals or insured any animals that we might recognize? Yeah, Beethoven, Gidget, the uh, Taco Bell dog. Down now in Beverly Hills, Mighty O. Evan, the animals there. Uh, Lion King, the making of Lion King, where they had the uh, artists come in and do the uh, renditions or the drawings of the lions so they could put it into the movie and uh, 
CGI. Golly, they just did a movie recently I was involved where we took a bear and went to South Africa and then brought it back to one of the studios in California. The chimps on um, where they were ice skating. It was a Disney uh, film. It sounds like if there's a movie and it has animals, you're somehow <laughs> pretty pretty closely involved from the sounds of it. You've been involved in just about everything. That's right. And it may be as simple as a frog in a martini glass for a still shot in a magazine to, oh, uh, the other one was Gucci, the leopard, involved with that, um, importing these animals, exporting them, both the mortality, the uh, liability of these animals. I got a call this morning to insure four rats for a, um, a big production company, and they want to do a movie shot with the uh, rats. Uh, we just went on risk for an alligator and two giraffes to do another movie shoot. Avatar, they're filming that sequel right now, and I'm insuring all the animals going into the green screen set. What they do is they take the live animals in, up, and then CGI will take the reality of the animals and then turn it into their characters for the movie. That's unbelievable. With all the different clients and industries and sectors that you've worked in, what does your typical client look like, or do you even have a typical client? There is no, uh, well, they're homogeneous groups as far as human and homo sapiens, but no, there is no typical because I do so many of the one-off clients, so they're not all plumbers, not all mercantile, they're not all contractors, they're not all building owners. I normally get involved with the, you know, the weird, wild, and wacky. Um, I had Michael Jackson insured for 20 years. I can talk about it now because he's dead. I had Siegfried and Roy insured for years until they had the accident. Willie Nelson until he filed bankruptcy. I'm trying to think who else I can tell you about. The gentleman, and I just got to give you inferences, but he got, we had him insured until the federal government decided to take him, but he had a uh, Ponzi scheme up in New York but we insured his assets when, remember, you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. So we did liability for him until the federal government decided to do their thing. Uh, so it was about two years we were on risk. I, I, I got to leave it there. There was a girl in California, superstar, that used to get in trouble a lot. They had her on a collar. Judge said, you can't leave, can't do this. We insured her for liability until she finally cleaned up and a standard market decided to come in. Uh, there was a couple of race car guys that got in trouble. Uh, with each other, more of the family drama, and uh, we got asked to insure them. One of the rock and roll guys, they're just, you know, they're just poor people with more money, and they do interesting things, and I usually get involved with those problems. Um, it may be a cripper uh, pole in the guy's yard that he's got, you know, lessons going on. They want insurance for the liability just for the pole uh, dancing, if you would. Uh, maybe it's a bar special event or downtown New York where they want to do uh, special effects or something really unique to get people's attention. The pedicabs, the horse and buggies. I've uh, been insuring the horse and buggies in downtown New York for close to 30 years, as an example, you know, getting away on the animal side. The non-animal side, uh, just anything that's got an element of risk that's you know not a standard market, that's either under the prohibited or do not insure risk, those are the things that I want to get involved with. Wow, so your professional involvement goes way beyond just movies and special events. You have found a way to be in just about everything. That's fascinating. I also have manuscripting abilities, so I can take, I don't use ISO forms. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with them, but they're great for the standard stuff. But um, I manuscript it so that um, I'm on risk or off risk based on the exposure you know, that's going on. I'll give you one that just came in. I've got a, a local bar there's an animal exclusion and they want to have a dog night out once a week. So you bring your dog to dinner, you know, every night or once a week and they need coverage. Yeah. As an example, most people don't look at the uh, BOPS or the SMP or the GL that they've got 
and they just assume, okay, you can bring your dog and sit out on the patio, but they don't have coverage if someone, quote, gets hurt. I want to back up just for a second and talk about the animals that you have on your property. When you when these animals come under your ownership, do you typically purchase them? Do you rescue them from private owners? How do they end up at your ranch? Well, most of them I refuse to pay for. I don't need to. Most of them are uh, either rescue animals. There was a situation in Atlanta, oh my goodness, six, seven, eight years ago. I just uh, arrived London. I got a frantic phone call. The government had confiscated these animals. I said, I've got meetings. Let me get my meetings. I'll fly back in the morning. And I did. I came. I knocked the animals down. I took blood. I did profiles. I microchipped them. And then I did a, um, a transfer to my federal government uh, license on a sort of an assignment, if you would, or an abandonment. And what had happened is there was a gentleman out there that was owned these animals and did not have the proper state and federal licenses. So the government came in and confiscated it. The venue called me and said, can you help? And I said, Yes, but I've got a certain protocol I want to go into. And so I took these over uh, on a confiscation as well as animals that needed help. From time to time, yes, I take um, animals in and spend a lot of money, my money, on rehabbing them, getting them fatter, getting the veterinarian care, whether it's you know, diabetes, whether we've had, we had an, an eye out on a lion and we had to put them back to rescue. So I do a lot of rescue, but I'm not a sanctuary. I am for profit and I decide on what I want to deal with and what animals. We have bred in the past. I may be breeding some white lions uh, in the near future. I just got a big male white lion in, and I may breed him to one of my females. So you're not just sitting there writing the contracts. You're actually going out in the field. You're working with these animals. You're drawing blood samples. You're making sure that they're being well taken care of, all that. You're very involved. Well, yeah, I'm hands-on. Blood doesn't bother me. Blood, guts, we knock them down, we look at their teeth, we look at their ears, we look at, you know, whatever, the whole body. We take blood samples, we take, um, we look for worms, we look for uh, just a variety of issues, cavities, and it's just normal, they break teeth, no different than us. We have a toothache, we don't know they have a toothache, or they come off their diet, or they've been abused, or they haven't had the right diet, but we bring them in, we saturate them, we just overfeed them, and then eventually the body will saturate and they can um, get on a normal diet. We give them a mixture of uh, different meats. Remember, they're protein meters, they're apex, so we just have to deal with that. Yeah, I'm sure there's a, a thousand different things that you got to watch out and be careful for. How has insuring animals evolved over the course of your career? How is it different now than it was way back when you first started? Well, I think there's years ago, we did. We were very busy. There were more animals. There's less animals today. Just less people have the federal permit, state permit. It's harder to get. They're very stringent. Um, it may be the fact that they don't have the land anymore. They don't have the zoning. And a lot of the states have cracked down on the requirements to get your state and federal permit. But we also, years ago, saw a lot of the standard markets. A lot of the brokers were misclassifying or the standard markets sort of turned a blind eye and said, we don't have a specific exclusion for that where ISO made a change on the dogs, obviously the vicious dogs, uh, you know, and the underwriters have gotten wiser and have now asked, do you have animals? It's normally do you have dogs or vicious dogs as opposed to the lion, tiger, elephant, you know, et cetera. So it's evolved in, I think, a lot more risks are out there to be insured that are coming out of the standard market or the reinsurers have finally up and said, we want to stay to our core business and not want to venture into these other areas that we have no expertise on. In your line of work, what are some of the difficulties that you experience that the average person might not be aware of, whether it's insuring or working with animals directly? 
Well, on the paper, on the animal side, on the ownership side, is the exotics, the state requirements, the federal requirements, what they can do, what they can't do, uh, the veterinarian protocols, safety, SOPs, um, are they being moved um, on and off premises, on premises only, uh, not covered by the homeowners, if you want. On the personal side, homeowners not being aware, I alluded to a little a few minutes ago, you own a bar, restaurant, an event, and yes, you can bring your animal in, but you don't have liability for it, and the people think, well, I've got a liability policy for my XYZ business, and I've got coverage for you bringing your dog in. No, not necessarily do you, so let's take a look to see if you have coverage, if it's specifically excluded, is it silent, or uh, there's an animal exclusion and you don't know about it, or maybe a sublimit. Having said that, we need to just more on the education and the um, information aspect of saying, okay, Yes, you've got a dog, it's vicious, and there's coverage, or there's not. Or you've got exotic animals, or farm animals, or acreage, so making the insured aware of it. On the animal side, again, how did you get your lion? Where is it? Is it in the state of Florida? Is it in another state? You have the federal and state permits that allows you to transfer it or allows you to get it, or you've got an animal that's quote-unquote illegal, or a monkey, oh, it's cute and cuddly, but you don't have the permits for it. Well, if we insure it and it hurts somebody, you've got an illegal monkey, i.e. in Pennsylvania, right. where the monkey ripped that lady's face off and hurt her very bad. There was no coverage for that, as an example. And obviously, working with these exotic animals, for many people, can be a sensitive issue. Have you faced any kind of criticism for the kinds of work that you're involved in? Yes, constantly. Uh, they write a lot of false stuff, and I don't take it lightly. I'm pretty vocal about it. They've made up a lot of mischaracterization of facts. You can look on the Internet. And you'll see all sorts of negative stuff. Those are just PETA and animal activists. I sort of discount them. They don't have any, you know, quote, uh, pun leg to stand on. But constantly they come up with arguments. They're not aware of the circumstances. And instead of trying to retaliate or fight it, I just ignore it. And they can say whatever they want. I'm not on social networks. Uh, USDA is one of the regulatories. And, in fact, they wrote something that was totally fabricated. Uh, there were two issues with the federal government, APHIS, but I took one and I got them for fabricating evidence in a federal court of law against the federal government. And then second, one of the, um, well, they call them VMOs, veterinary medical officers, written something. Uh, it took me probably a good part of a year, but I appealed it and I won the appeal. So, I, I, yeah, there's a lot of negative from the activist standpoint. They make a lot of false things. And there are some issues of why they shouldn't be. I invite people out to my place all the time if they want to see a facility. Uh, and my facility and how it should be done. They use mine as a teaching facility a lot, especially from a liability and a safety standpoint that you and I would get involved with from an insurance standpoint, but also to transport these animals. There was an incident last Sunday. has nothing to do with me, but I heard one of the talk shows on Tuesday, Wednesday of this week were talking about the camel incident, and all of a sudden, well, people shouldn't own tigers. Well, okay, that's your opinion. We're all entitled to them, but the tigers didn't do anything wrong. It was the camel that got spooked because somebody threw a shovel at it. I don't know if you're aware of it up in Pittsburgh. It's fine. Yeah, so it sounds like even though you do face these criticisms from time to time, you don't uh, just let these people walk all over you. It sounds like you're perfectly willing to get into the ring and share your expertise and your knowledge and you know, stand up for what you believe in and what you want to do. Yeah, again, an understatement. And of course, I'm doing both sides, both the liability and the, you know, the mortality side of the insurance, as well as the animal ownership. And I've been qualified a lot of times as an expert witness, and we'll go in there I'm pretty unorthodox, but I have no problem going to court and going to battle, but I'm going to stay in my wheelhouse and my knowledge, I won't get out of it. And if I render an opinion, it's based on something I've been involved with. 
With that in mind, what do you think the future of insuring exotic animals is? Do you think it's growing? Do you think it's declining? What do you think is going to happen to it? I would say the population is probably decreasing from the number of exotics and the number of people that own the animals outside of the public zoos, if you would. There's still going to be private ownership. There's still going to be some sanctuaries. And, of course, the biomedical field, which there's a lot of. The biomedical field is just constantly growing, but it's a very small population that has the biomedical, both in the U.S. and outside, and they continue to test on animals or medical, if you would. I would say overall, the risks are decreasing, but it's still a necessary coverage that will not disappear. From what you were saying, it sounds like there's always going to be a music video or a movie or a whatever that's going to need some kind of insurance, whether it's for exotic animals or even just everyday ones. Uh, very true, and I will tell you, they were doing a lot of CGI computer graphic imaging, and it looks like some of the computer graphic imaging is getting away and going back to live animals because they couldn't duplicate it exactly. If you want to go back to, the, what, 90, 91, I think, when the original Jaws came out, they did a good job, but it wasn't, wow, a great white or a, a mastodon uh, shark. So having said that, uh, they're going back and using a lot of natural or real animals, and they sort of supplement with the CGI. Well, for our, our last question, I want to ask you one more thing before we get off the line here. Is there anything else that you would like for our listeners to know, either about exotic animals or what you do? Well, I appreciate the opportunity to share with you. Um, I like to be sort of a, a specialty market with manuscripting ability. I don't do standard or normal insurance. I don't compete in the standard industry. I like problem accounts. The more problem it's got, the better it is. So we can actually, you know, as they say, put your teeth on it, dig through it, drill down, underwrite it, and come up with terms and conditions. There's very little that we can't insure. It may get awful expensive and have some restrictions and underwriting guidelines, but I like the problem account. Well, they make for some fascinating stories. I can tell you that much. Mitchell, thank you so much for speaking with me today for Episode 4 of the FSLSO Palmcast. I can't wait to see Avatar 2 someday and know that I spoke with the guy who played a part in that. That is just so amazing to me. And if you get to Orlando, come visit. We'll show you some of the kitty cats in the backyard. I might just have to take you up on that. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, check out our previous episodes, which can be found on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and our website at www.fslso.com. Join us again next time, and thanks for tuning in.